worksheet number five, watch out. Now, as you're getting that prepared, and we're just so you heads up, we're going to be going to the book of Revelations. You want to head to there. It's page 1176 in your pew Bible. We're going to be going to the book of Revelation. But I want to begin by giving a review of some of the things that we saw in the other prophetic book we're going to be spending a good deal of time in, the book of Daniel. In our very opening night, we showed how the Lord basically set up a test about who could be known as a god. He says there's only one god, and anything else who claims to be god better be able to do the things that only a god can do. Namely, if you're truly an eternal being, an everlasting, infinite creature, you should be able to tell the end from the beginning. The whole span of human history, you should be able to lay it out and have it come true. And he says, I can do that. Anybody else who wants to do it, you're willing to try But the Lord puts his money where his mouth is, if you will. And in Daniel chapter 2, he gives an outline of the world's history from the time of Daniel, which was living about 500 years before Jesus arrived in the the empire of Babylon. And he goes all the way through from Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome as an empire, imperial Rome, then divided Rome into the ten parts. And then after that, Jesus' kingdom, the second coming of the Lord, would happen and Jesus would set up the truly eternal kingdom And he said, this is what's going to happen, just watch. And we can verify from history that Babylon indeed fell to the Medes and Persians, who in turn fell to the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then they were taken over by the Romans, but the Romans didn't fall to anyone. They were simply divided into the tribes and uh, divisions that we still see remnants of today in divided Europe. And we're living in that time of Earth's history. So we have the benefit, the 2020 hindsight of history, to show that God's, at that time, foretelling of the future was spot on in every sense of the word. And so we know that the next kingdom that's coming is Jesus' own kingdom, the God kingdom, the, the, the empire that will never fall. And we know that that's the thing that's coming. Now, when is it coming? Basically, tonight we're going to be talking about that next kingdom that's coming and what to watch for so we know when it's coming. Page 1176, we're going to notice a theme in this last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to start with chapter 3 and verse 11. I want you to notice a theme, but before we get into the Bible study proper, let's always begin with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who not only made us, but us has a plan to redeem us and to save us, and you communicate these important things with us. So, Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to see exactly what you have said and what you have not said, and help us to keep our eyes focused on the right thing. Help us to truly watch out, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11. You're going to notice a theme as we go through these passages. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11 says here, Behold, I am coming, and what's that word? Quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Now go to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. The very last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, we're going to start with verse 7. And notice repeatedly in this very last chapter of the very last book of the last testament of the Bible, the very end of the book. You see this repeated promise three different times. We'll start with verse 7, Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming. What's the word? Quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now we just continue down five more verses to verse 12. What do we find? And behold, I am coming. What's the word? 
quickly, and my reward is with me to give to each one according to his work. And now go to verse 20. He who testifies to these things, be surely I am coming. What's that word? Quickly. Over and over in the last book of the Bible, particularly the very last chapter of the Bible, he says, behold. And what does it mean to behold something? To look, to watch. Watch out. I am coming. And what's that word? Quickly. I'm coming quickly, coming quickly, coming quickly. The last repeated promise of Jesus is, I am coming. And here's your fill in the blank. Quickly. I'm coming quickly. Now, that might be exciting, but you might temper that with slow down. The book of Revelation was written about the year 100 or 90 A.D. It's been roughly close to 2,000 years since Jesus said he was coming quickly. Now, that's a pretty broad definition of quick, right? Almost laughably so. We chuckle. It's like, I'm coming quick. Like if I told my, if I told my wife, I'll be there to pick you up really quickly. And I showed up, you know, 2,000 years later right? I'm guessing she would have some words for me if she were, you know, still around at that point. But somehow Jesus closes off the Bible with this promise. Watch out, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly. And apparently this supposed delay, as we laugh about it now, is something that people would be laughing about at the times in which we live. For instance, if you were to go out in the world right now and you say, I believe Jesus is coming soon, I believe he's going to set up this eternal empire very, very quickly and use the very words that Jesus, I think he's coming quickly. Do you think people would say, I do too? Or do you think most people would say, seriously, you know, it's been 2,000 years since he's been here the first time. It's been quite a while, right? Watch this now. 2 Peter chapter 3. That's going to be page 1167 in your pew Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4. Interestingly, the Lord anticipated this type of reaction in the last days. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first, that... What's that next word? Scoffers. Now, what is a scoffer? Now, a smart act will say a scoffer is one who scoffs. Okay, so what does it mean to scoff? at something, to make fun of it, to taunt it, to tease it, to prod it and poke it and just try to get under its skin, right? Make fun of it. Scoffers will come in the last days. When will these scoffers come? In the last days. And you'll know why they're particularly scoffing in the last days here in just a moment. Walking according to their own lusts, right? These are not people who are trying to conform themselves to the image of Christ. They're kind of doing whatever it is they want to do, and they're making fun of those people who are looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, here's what they're going to be saying, where is the promise of what? His coming. Where is this big, hey, behold, I'm coming quickly? Where is it? I'm looking around, I don't see Jesus. They might scoff and taunt. And then they go on to say, for since the fathers fell asleep, you know, those old generations, that dusty antiquity, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Their basic thing is, look, the earth is still the same. The sun comes up, the sun comes down, day after day, season after season, year after year, and Jesus still isn't here. 
Now, that's fascinating that there's a prophecy that in the last days, people would specifically be taunting the idea that Jesus would be coming at all, much less coming soon. Is this an outdated concept, or should we say, you know what, Jesus actually isn't coming quickly. He's not coming at all, perhaps, and maybe we should just reevaluate and just try to have a good moral life and do whatever we want and start walking according to our own lusts. What should we do in the face of this? Now watch. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus himself. This is going to be page 961. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus himself is discussing these last days. These days just preceding his coming. The days before his kingdom is set up. I believe the days in which we are, according to the flow of history, living in today. Matthew chapter 24. Start with verse 42. Matthew chapter 24, page 961, starting with verse 42. He says, in the very first word there is, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is what? Coming. Now, does that say you don't not know if the Lord is coming? Is that what he's saying? No, no, no. The whole argument is built on the idea that he is in fact coming. What we don't know is when he's coming, right? So what should we do since we don't know when? Did he just say lay back and do whatever you want? No, what word does he use there? Right at the beginning of the text, he says, what should we do? Because we don't know the hour, we should be doing what? Watch. We should watch. We should be watching, okay? Again, watch therefore, verse 42, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this. Now, again, if the Bible says, know this, what should you do? You should know this. Right? And Jesus himself is saying, but know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed this house to be broken into. Therefore, so that's a little paraphrase, parable. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. So he's very clear. You don't know the hour, but you should be watching because it is going to be soon. Okay? Interesting. We don't know the hour, but we should be watching. Again, notice in Jesus' language there, his little parable in verse 43. But know this, if the master of the house had known the hour, the... What does he talk about here? A thief would come. He would, not have, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Jesus uses the metaphor as a thief coming to break in. You don't know exactly when it's coming, so you should be watchful of its coming. Okay? Now, we'll see this idea again. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 16, where Jesus himself again describes his own return. Matthew chapter 16 on one of these behold texts, that's going to be page 1185, by the way, in your pew Bible. Another one of these behold, I am coming passages in the book of Revelation. But this time he doesn't say, I'm coming quickly. He explains something else about his coming. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. It says here, behold, I am coming. And this time he doesn't say quickly. He says, I'm coming as a thief. And then what does he say? Blessed is he who watches. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So notice the same parable. And Jesus on earth, when he was speaking about his own return, he says, watch therefore for you do not know the hour. It will be like a thief who comes to break into your house. And if you'd known the thief was on their way, you, he wouldn't tell you the schedule, but you would be watching. 
In the book of Revelation, chapter 16 and verse 15, he says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. Now let's go to another book, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. That's going to be page 1137. Right there in the beginning of the T section in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 5. I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. Starting with verse 2. Again, he's writing to the people in Thessalonica about the coming of the Lord. This is his theme. And notice how it matches beautifully with what Christ already has said. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? Thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... So there's a, apparently there's going to be some people scoffing at the end time the idea that Jesus is coming at all. Some people are going to be crying out, oh, this is peace and safety, it's fine, there's no way Jesus is coming now. Just look around, it's great, it's utopian, it's perfect. He said everybody's going to be crying peace and safety. Some people will be saying that. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. Okay. So apparently what we know is we, we're certain that we don't know the hour, but we should be watching. Now, other people will look at the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet and say, that is ridiculous, and start laughing, and they'll be claiming, oh, it's going to be peace and safety, it's all is calm, all is well, no problem. But he says, when you hear that, and you know the prophecies, you know that you don't know the hour, but you should be watching. Okay? Now, let's continue on with the text. Then he says, Again, verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. In what way will the sudden destruction come? As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, I'm not going to get into that labor pains of a pregnant woman thing right now, but I want you to keep it in the shelf of your mind because we're going to keep it dusted off because we're going to use it in just a minute. Okay? But Paul comes back here and says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. But, brethren, and this is the most important part for us Christians, but, brethren, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now, is it going to be like a thief? Yes. It's going to be a thief in the night. But he says, you, however, are not in darkness that it should overtake you as a thief because Christ has said it's going to be like a thief. Therefore, watch. So apparently if Christ says to watch, he has to give us something to watch for, right? And we know one thing that we're not watching for is a particular time. He says, look, you do not know the day or the hour. I cannot set a calendar. I do not have a clock. But apparently there is something else to be watching for. And it's interesting that Paul talks about it and uses the metaphor as labor pains come to a pregnant woman. We are not in darkness in fact, let's read it again. You are all sons of light. Oh, let's start with verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us, here's our word again, watch and be sober. Over and over Jesus himself and other Bible writers, whether it's Peter or Paul or John in the book of Revelation, but it's fascinating. You have Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John talking about the return of Jesus, and they all say the exact same thing. You don't know when the hour is, 
but there are things to be watching for. It's not the time, and this brings us to our fill in the blank. We're, not, we're watching not for the time of Christ's return. You will not hear me come up and advocate, okay, now we're going to get a prophecy and we're going to figure out the time, we're going to make a calendar and we're going to set down a countdown clock and we're sending it down. No, 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 no. We are specifically told we're not watching for the time of Christ's return, but for the signs of Christ's return. Okay? We're watching for something, but it's not the time. We're watching for the signs of Christ's return. Now, which begs a quick question. What are the signs of Christ's return? What are we supposed to be watching for? The Bible imperatively says over and over again, yes, Jesus is coming. No, you don't know the time, but yes, you can watch for something. I, for one, would like to know what those things are. Fortunately, Jesus tells us. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24 again. Matthew chapter 24, page 960 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 24 We're going to go to the beginning of this chapter, and I want you to see something fascinating about why Jesus even has this discussion about his return at all. It's based on the question given him by his own disciples about the end of the world. Now, what they think the end of the world is. For a broader context, if you were to read Matthew chapter 23, first of all, this is getting towards the very, very, very last days of Jesus' ministry, the last week of his life. And here he has been amongst his people for three and a half years, and the Jewish leaders, instead of celebrating him and embracing him and and following him as their savior, have repeatedly taunted him and hounded him and threatened him, and now they're going to execute him. And in Matthew chapter 23, if you were to read the whole thing, he goes into the temple for the very last time, and he meets these Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and he basically lays out these, woe to you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. It's like, I've done everything I can. And in fact, let's go to the very last verse of Matthew chapter 23. Uh, verse 37, we'll just, uh, last few verses. Verse 37 of Matthew 23 to give us the context for Jesus' statements in 24. Okay, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Here Jesus is standing in the temple saying these things in the courtyard here. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not, what? Willing. He's like, I was more than willing, but you didn't want it. Verse 38, see your house, speaking of the temple, is left to you in what condition? Desolate. What does desolate mean? It's empty. It's vacant. It's all done. And that's fascinating because everything in that temple was pointing forward to Jesus. And here was Jesus standing in the temple. And he says, I'm walking out of here. And your house is left to you. Notice, fascinatingly, in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus clears out the temple and he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. But at this time, at the very end of his ministry, he walks away and he says, now it's your house. And it's empty. 4, verse 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Speaking of his second coming. Right? The next time you see me come through here, it's not going to be as the guy you're beating up, but it's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. Next time you see me. Now, all of that gives us the context for Matthew 24. Look at verse 1. 
Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. As I, the, the impression you get is like, they're like, are you sure you should be so harsh? I mean, come on, just look at it. Do you see this building, that building, of course, the temple itself, and look at all the edifices. You don't mean it, Jesus. You, you're really just kind of blowing off some steam. Come on, look around, and look what Jesus says. Verse 2, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Now, I love that. They're like, look at the temple. And he's like, you look at the temple. You take a good look. Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus here is prophesying the destruction of the temple and the overthrow of Jerusalem itself. He's like, you see this beautiful building, the, all these buildings you want me to take a look at? You look at them closely because sometime they're going to be completely wiped out. Not one stone will be left upon another. You're hanging on to these buildings, friends. You're hanging on to the Titanic. It is going down. Okay? Now, this didn't sit well with the disciples. You've got to understand, these are Jewish religious people who looked at the temple as everything. And in their minds, the only thing that could flatten and level the temple is the end of the world itself. Right? And you notice this thinking when they continue talking to Jesus. Watch this now in verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. Now, which things is he talking about? The destruction of the temple, right? When these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming? In their mind, the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus are the same event, right? That's the only thing that could level the temple. So they come to him privately, like, I know you can't tell everybody, but you can tell us, right? When will these things be? You know, the leveling of the temple. And what will be the sign of your coming? How do we know when to get ready? And notice this, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In their mind, that's the end of the world, friends. Now, though they don't realize it, by the way, here we are at our fill-in-the-blank, in the minds of the disciples, the destruction of the temple could only happen when Jesus returned at the end of the age, at the end of the world. So their mind is looking at this one thing as one big event, the destruction of the temple, Jesus' return, the end of the world, it's one big event. But, of course, the destruction of the temple happened in 70 A.D., roughly 40 years after this conversation occurred that we're reading about, while Jesus' return still has not occurred some 2,000 years later, right? So there's a huge expanse of time between these two events, but from their perspective, they're just one thing, right? So they're asking Jesus, though they don't realize it, they're asking Jesus two different questions. They're saying, when will this destruction of Jerusalem happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, put yourself for just a moment in Jesus' shoes, if you will. How do you answer that question? Do you say, oh, guys, don't worry about it. The destruction of Jerusalem is relatively soon. In the next 40 years, some of you are going to live to see it. But I'm not going to return for another 2,000 years. I think that would have probably, you know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he said, there are many things that I long to tell you, but you cannot bear to hear them. 
I would imagine the fact that he's not returning for another 2,000 years would fall into that category of stuff they couldn't handle. So Jesus wants to answer their question and will answer the question honestly, but he answers it in such a way that everything that he says applies to both events. If you were in the first century reading about the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming, all the things would apply then. If you're at the last days, which I believe that we are, as we look at Bible prophecy, that's the next kingdom to come, all those things would apply to this event as well. So one answer works for both events. Okay? Now that's an important thing to keep in mind. That whatever he's about to explain applies to the world in which I believe that we're living. When the scoffers say, is Jesus really coming soon? Just look around, everything's fine. Well, the question is, as we look around, is everything fine? Do we see the signs that Jesus told us to watch for? Now, let's, before we get into the specific signs, let's go to, still in Matthew 24, now go to verse 32. Jesus uses two different analogies for how the signs will be revealed, okay, what it will be similar to. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, that we're going to look at now. 24 and verse 32. Scripture reads, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. And again, if any time Jesus says, Learn this lesson, we should learn this lesson. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is what? Near. It doesn't say you know that summer is here, but you do know that summer is near. So apparently you can look at the tree and though you may not feel it and you know everything maybe for you may not feel summer-ish, the tree is starting to get some juices flowing. There's something happening and you start to see signs on the tree that the thing that you're looking forward to, namely summer, is near. Okay. Again, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Verse 33. So also when you see all these things, Again, we're going to look back at those things that he's just articulated. When you see all these things, know that it, that is the second coming of Jesus in our case, is what? Near at the very doors, even at the doors. Okay? So it hasn't come in yet, but as you see these signs, you know for certain that you're getting nearer and nearer to the great event. Okay? Again, we're not looking for times, but we're looking for signs. Now let's go to verse 8, same chapter, Matthew 24, back up to verse 8. Jesus gives another metaphor about how these signs will be manifested. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8. In the New King James, or the King James Version, it says, All these, speaking of these signs, are the beginning of sorrows. Now that's an interesting interpretation but if you look at the actual Greek word there for sorrows or pains, it's a specific kind of sorrow and pain. It's a, as the New International Version correctly renders it, birth pains. These are contractions. These are the pains that precede the delivery of a baby. Now, I think that's fascinating. He gives these two analogies, both saying, like the fig tree, learn the lesson from it. When you start to see the you know, the branches come out and the leaves are starting to come out. You know that summer is near. And he also says it's also going to be like birth pains, contractions before a delivery of a baby. Now, I am so thankful 
that I only, well, that I have children at all is wonderful, but that I didn't actually birth the children is even, I won't say more wonderful, but it's right up there with it, okay? Now, my wife, however, has had that great privilege, and she was a trooper, and it was great, but it was fascinating being next to the process as it was occurring over time, right? For instance, when you first find out, at least it was for us here, that, that we were going to have a baby, uh, you know, you get the confirmation, you confirm again, double check, double check, double check, all right, 20 checks, we're good. It's apparently happening. But there are no outward signs of it. None. Right? Apparently, she didn't even really feel that different. It just is a, the word says so, we're going to be having a baby. Okay? Now, as it goes along, she starts experiencing things that I, on the outside, do not experience. And I'll be honest with you, some of them are a little frustrating. There was a phase, and she has my permission to say this, where she was just tired. Now, when I look at someone who's, you know, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, I'm like, yeah, you should be tired. But when you're like one, two, three months pregnant and I can't see anything, I'm like, tired of what? Right? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the most sensitive guy. I'm just telling you honest. Can we talk like people here? Okay. So I would come home and she'd be laying on the couch or something. I was like, what are you doing? And she'd say, well, I'm tired. And I'd say, from what? She'd be like, from having this baby? I said, what baby? <laughs> I don't even see anything. What are you talking about? You know? and, and then there was the bean burrito phase. And, you know, every, and the taste change. And all of a sudden there's these different symptoms, these different, you know, whatever the thing is. And it goes through. And I'm just kind of observing. I see no imminent sign of a baby. But apparently something is stirring. Something's happening. And then you first start to see a little bit, you know, hey, it's starting to show. And then, then you can feel a kick. It's like, all right, now there's signs building up, right? And then as you come into the home stretch, or as, you know, I, you don't want to say the terminal phases of a pregnancy, but the end time events, if you will, things start happening more. Um, it, gets more it gets your attention more. It gets your attention more, right? Apparently, the, the visibility is quite visible. And the, uh, uh, apparently, the feelings are quite noticeable. And you have to express those feelings sometimes and let me know that you're feeling those things. And even the doctors, even the midwife, whatever you have working with you, the nurses, whatever, will tell you, okay, this is what to expect. The first contraction will be like this, but don't call me the moment you have your first contraction because it's going to abate. And you start timing it, right? Then you start to look at the next one. And what you're looking for are two things. You're looking for frequency and intensity. Two things you're looking for as you're coming into the home stretch of this pregnancy. You're looking for frequency of the birth pains and intensity of the, of the birth pains, right? So you start clocking them. And then you start, there are some litmus tests to how, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how painful is this? And can you talk through them? Can you walk through them? Or do you have to, like, yell and scream through them? You know, are you, you know what, what phase are you at? And start, you start to know. Now, we couldn't still, even in those phases, we couldn't tell you that at this time, in this hour, this baby will be born. But you do get the sense that it's coming soon based on the frequency and the intensity of the contractions. Right? Interesting that Christ uses that metaphor to explain what to look for with his coming. He says, I'm going to give you a list of signs 
But just the first time it happens, that's not it, right? These are those beginnings of birth pains. This is what you're looking for, and you're looking for increased intensity and increased frequency. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 24 and elsewhere in the New Testament, we find recorded the signs of Christ's return. And I'm going to go through them. There's 10 of them here. We're going to go through them relatively quickly, but I want you to be able to see that if you compare what the Bible tells us to watch for. Now, again, we've already seen from the historical chronological timeline, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, we're standing here at the end. We know that we're in the time of the toes based on Daniel chapter 2. We're in the time of the divided, but we still don't see Jesus coming yet. And many people are saying, it's been 2,000 years. How can you possibly believe that Jesus is coming soon? Well, we're not looking for a particular time, but we are looking for signs. And if you notice, if you're watchful, as the Bible tells us, you will see that the signs that he told us to watch for are occurring in our world with increased intensity and increased frequency. Chapter 24. Going back now to verse 5. Well, in fact, we'll just start with verse, we'll just, verse 3, just to back up and review again. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they're looking for the time and the signs. Jesus doesn't give them the time, but he does give them the signs. And Jesus, verse 4, answered and said to them, Take heed that no one does what? The number one thing apparently you're supposed to watch out for is deception. Now, we'll get into deception later on. In fact, tomorrow evening, we're going to be getting, how do you know if you're deceived? Because a deceived person doesn't think they're being deceived. That's how deception works, right? So it's a tricky thing. But he says, the number one thing, let no one deceive you. Take heed that no one deceives you. For, verse 5, for many will come, how? In my name, right? In the garb of Christianity, in the Christ bearing his image, his name, his uh, his inscription saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm of Christ. Saying, in fact, some of them will even be saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So apparently you're supposed to look for in the Christian world or taking the name of Christ, people who claim to be Christ are looking for false Christs, false prophets to occur on the earth. False spiritual teaching, claiming even to be Christ himself, and you'd see a general religious confusion that would lead many to deception. There's going to be a religious fervor, a Christian guy that's going to lead many people away. He's like, watch out that that doesn't happen to you. False Christs and false prophets. Now, you see in our history, you've got them jotted down in your notes there, some of the more egregious false Christs that occurred later in this 2,000 years of Earth's history. For example, Jim Jones down in Guyana with his, uh, uh, with his cult and their mass suicide where literally hundreds of people following the dictates of this one man who claimed to be Christ did exactly what he said and ended their lives. You know, that was a horrible thing. You saw the same thing with David Koresh in Waco, Texas, not too terribly long ago in the early 1990s. Same basic thing. People had this messianic figure of him. He claimed to be Christ. People followed him literally to their deaths. So even more recently than that, Marshall Applewhite. Do you remember that name, Marshall Applewhite? It was part of the Heaven's Gate cult when the comet Hale-Bopp was coming around the earth. They were absolutely convinced. And, and I'm, you know, I don't ever encourage you to go look up crazy people, but 
if you want one of the more fascinating things, go to even like Wikipedia or something and just read the biography of Marshall Applewhite. Just completely out of his mind. Yet people would follow him literally to their deaths. And they found these poor people in, 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 a, in a condition where they had committed this suicide thing, but had fully convinced that when they die, they're just simply transitioning to a different place. And that place was on a special spaceship hiding in the tail of the comet Hale-Bopp, and it was going to take them to the utopian parrot. I mean, absolutely insane. One of the more egregious ones probably hasn't been heard of because it's more well-known in the Latin American community, but Dr. Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Another one you can, I don't encourage it, but if you want to, go Google it. (laughs) Um, Literally has tens or not, if not hundreds of thousands, perhaps even a few million followers. And he literally claims to be Jesus Christ on earth, He says, I've got a Christian church, Jesus Christ on earth. By the way, number 666 is my name. Tattoo it on your forehead. People do this stuff, literally. And and he dresses up in a suit and tie and calls himself a church. Go look up. People are literally following crazy people, claiming to be Christ or claiming to be Christian. And that's not even... I could go on a whole thing about Christian people saying things in the name of Christ that are absolutely against what the Scripture says about Christ, leading many people to deception. He said, watch out. It's going to be trendy to come in my name. Everybody around is a Christian. But many, many people are confused and deceived. He said, that's one of the mark signs of the last day. Everybody's going to be claiming Christian. Some even claiming to be me. But watch out for that. Don't be deceived. Let's go to verse 6. Another one. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Okay? Wars and rumors of wars. Are we living in an age, by the way, are we in a state of war right now? I have no idea. Can we just be frankly honest? I have no idea. We're the strongest superpower nation on the planet, and I don't even know if we're at war right now. And if I were to ask you, which, who are we at war with? You could probably rattle off half a dozen countries right? Wars and rumors of war. Well, if we're not at war officially, we're kind of at war, or there's a spirit of war, and I heard there's going to be a war. Better get ready, because this war is going to be, we're going to, you know, they have plans to go in and do this next war. War, 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 and that's just our country, right? The 20th century, you know, we have this picture in our minds that, they, you know, Apple just released new iPad things today, and the more technology increases, the more internet access that we have, the more television, the radio, the more the further technologically advanced and scientifically literate we become, the closer to utopian paradise we get to. It's going to solve all our problems. But friends, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in world history. More people died in the 20th century than had in all the other ones combined. And by the way, the 21st century, now that we've crossed into the new millennium, isn't getting any better. People are still dying. We've just found new, cooler, slicker ways to do it right? It's incredible, but the spirit of war is wrapping around this country. In fact, we could go down some, uh, some fascinating things right now. For instance, uh, by the way, the 20th century, bloodiest in history, 160 million people estimated died in wars. Just in the, that's not famine and starvation. That's just war in the 20th century. The 21st century, just so far, we're not really that far into it yet, okay? We've had over half a million war deaths so far. Right now, 
60 countries are involved in some form of war. That's 30% of every country that's on the planet is in a state of war right now, as we speak tonight. Number of militias and guerrilla or separatist groups warring against, you know, sub-wars, mini-wars, are 443 going on in the world right now. And again, we don't even have to talk about the rumors of war. You remember just a couple weeks ago, everybody thought we were just about to go to war, and then, <gasps> we didn't, but we might still, who knows? You know, we live in this constant, and same thing with this, with this war on terrorism type of thing. We go into the airport. Have you noticed, I don't know if you fly that often. I have to fly a little, way more than I want to. I hate flying, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. But it used to be you'd have the red alert and orange alert and yellow alert, and you're on high alert and everything. But we did it for so long, we just kind of stopped doing it. You never hear those alert reports at the airport anymore. Now just everybody's a suspect. Somebody's probably the bad guy all around. We just live in a constant heightened state of the spirit of war. And Jesus said, that's going to increase. And there have been wars for the last 2,000 years. But they have definitely increased dramatically in intensity and frequency the farther and farther as time goes along. And we're living in the midst of it right now. Yet everybody thinks, well, not everybody, but a good number of people think, we're this close to having all the problems solved. If we can just financially do this, or, phys- or politically do this, or militarily, we're going to live in this. It's going to be peace and safety. When the facts of the matter is, people are dying left and right through exactly what Jesus said. War, rumors of war. Well, let's keep going. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be, what's that word? Famines. There will be famines. The United Nations estimates that one-sixth of the earth is currently experiencing a famine right now. 50,000 to 60,000 people starve to death every day. We have decreasing agricultural land. World population is becoming more urbanized. Right now, for the first time in world's history, more people live in a city than they live in the country all around the world. Okay? World population is becoming uh, unsustainable, people are afraid of. 780 million people lack access to clean water. You know, you think about those numbers, 780 million. That's knocking on the doorstep of a billion people out of a world that only has roughly 7 billion. So basically, one out of every six, one out of every seven so people is nowhere near adequate water. And we take water for one of those things for granted. Well, everybody's got water right now. It's the 20th century, 21st century. It's not true. A huge population of the world is dying for the lack of the most basic hygienic and health reasons. Food, water, those basic things, exactly as Jesus explained that it would happen. Let's continue on Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. It says here, after it talks about there will be famines, then it says pestilences. Now, that's kind of an older word, but a pestilence is just another form of a word for, like, disease, right? Or a physical problem like that, a disease. Uh, We think about the, I mean, we could just list off uh, all the different diseases, AIDS epidemics in many countries. 34-plus million people globally have AIDS right now, many of them in, in places that can't afford or can't get access to the medicine that could help them. You think of all the different Different, you know, the flu used to just be the flu. Remember that? You'd have the flu, and then you had the flu shot. But now you have, like, these specialty flus, you know, whether it's, you know, SARS or bird flu or swine flu or I don't know, whatever flu is coming next. You know, you have crazy disease, Ebola, West Nile virus, uh, mad cow disease that broke down and shut down England for a while. 
You, we have diseases now, and now the difficulty is not only have new diseases, but you have old diseases coming back, and we have less immunity to them, and whatever immunity we do have, those diseases are learning how to work around that. So we're getting stronger diseases to fight off a... I mean, it's not a pretty picture now. I know that we don't want to just close with a word of prayer tonight and be like, by the way, you'll probably end by a disease or a lack of water or, you know, a drone strike. Someone's going to kill you. But I want to be clear that the things the Bible talks about are happening in our world as we speak tonight. Continuing Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, and there will be earthquakes in various places. Again, earthquakes have happened ever since Jesus walked on the earth and before. But what we're seeing is an increased reporting of them, increased intensity of them, and increased destruction from them. Now, why would an earthquake be more destructive? Well, A, it could be stronger, but also it could be in a place where you have more population, right? In various places around the world, you go, I've been so tempted, and I I won't do it tonight, but at some point I'm going to get the guts to just say, instead of just reading through this whole presentation, what I'm going to do is just read Matthew chapter 24, and you look at all the things that are coming, and then I'm going to take my iPhone out and read through the Google News feed for today. Okay, just whatever day it is, and I promise you, you will see wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, earthquakes, famines, natural disasters, all the things that Jesus said, and here we have this one, earthquakes. We think of the earthquakes that have happened in our time, from Haiti, and and literally hundreds of thousands of people just gone. In an instant. You remember the, the, the Christmas Eve earthquake and tsunami of a few years back. I believe it was 2004. In Southeast Asia. I mean, literally, over a quarter of a million people died. Just in the blink of an eye. And what was the cause? Earthquakes. In various places around the world. The number of known earthquakes and deadly earthquakes has dramatically increased in the last 100 years. You can check it out uh, at the geological survey sites. And of course, over 300,000 died in that single day triggered by an earthquake because of the resulting tsunami. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. We're going to go away from Matthew now. and Luke records the same dialogue of Jesus about his return, but he mentions something here and that Matthew doesn't quite record in the same way. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectations of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So it talks about the earth itself and the heavens will be shaken, and you have the sea and the roaring waves. We're talking about natural disasters and weather patterns and those types of things, things in the sky, the the sea, the earth itself. Apparently, there would be destructive weather patterns, and what exactly we're seeing, has there been any hubbub about the care of the earth and the weather patterns that have come about in recent years? Absolutely. And there are different people that talk about different causes and what's happening, but no one can doubt that the number of tornadoes, the number of earthquakes, the number of these things are increasing. The frequency is increasing. The intensity is increasing. And the question now, people are saying, well, what's causing it? But the fact that it is occurring is beyond question at this point. Weather is getting crazy. For instance, for the last 20 years, we've heard about global warming. I think this is fascinating. This is just a week or two ago. I picked this up. And I'm not getting into debate about global warming or whatever. I'm not making a political statement here. You can have your carbon footprint and do whatever you want with it. However, I do think it's fascinating. 
the last 20 years, we heard about global warming. And this, just this last week, just this last month, we heard about, believe it or not, global cooling. You know, last year, they recorded the, 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 the greatest shrinkage of the ice pack in, in, in the Arctic. Right? This year, it has expanded tremendously, so much so that even through the summer, certain ships couldn't go through certain avenues because it never lost its ice. And now winter's coming on again. And now you have the exact same people who for the last 20 years have been saying, global warming, global warming. They say, uh-oh, wait a minute. We were wrong. Global cooling is the problem. We're going to freeze to death instead of burn. People don't know what to think. This year they predicted, you know, I just came from Florida and we were always watching out for hurricanes down there. This year was predicted to be the worst of the worst. Haven't had one yet. But then you have tornado season, you have snowfall records, you have all these different chaotic weather patterns all over the place and people are just not knowing what to think or to do. It's fascinating. Jesus talked about that very thing occurring. Let's continue on. Matthew chapter 24 again. This time, verse 12. Matthew chapter 24, again, page 960. Verse 12. Let me make sure I get to the right passage here. Okay. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow what? Cold. Just the general sense of society, that people will grow colder. Lawlessness will abound, and the love of people will grow cold. You have an increasingly violent and unloving society, which again is what we can see, and again attributable, who knows, but... Certainly there are reports about music and television, cinema, video games, etc. We have crime of, of murder and rape and kidnapping, animal cruelty, all kinds of sick, depraved things. And again, we could do the exact same thing with a news feed off of your favorite, whatever it is, uh, reader that you have on your online. Whatever news source you have, you will promise you, you will see, for instance, just today, there was another school shooting. And what was the, by the way, the, the perpetrator was a middle school kid. This isn't even a crazy high school kid. They're getting younger, right? And the reason given was because you made my life miserable, so I'm going to make yours. And he shot his teacher. Just like that. Where, and where does this come from? Now, we could debate, is it the video games? Is it the music? Is it the lack of parents? Is it society? Is it the movies? I don't know. But the point is, it's happening. It's crazy. And apparently... This would be one of the signs of Jesus coming. By the way, don't think for a moment that slavery ended 200 years ago. There are more, go look it up. There are more slaves alive in the world today than there ever have been in world's history. More, I'm talking about human beings being owned for their services by another human being. Human ownership of others occurs in our world right now today more than it ever has in world history. Now, they're not on boats coming to places and working on farms and plantations, but they're more underground. And friends, they're younger, doing even more despicable things than just simply working in a field. And it's happening right now in our, in our world. I, it, it's hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. You think about this. 27 million is the number that they give. And again, these are not Christians. These are not people looking at end times events. They're just reporting the facts. 27 million people are owned by other people ruining their lives, grinding them into complete destruction in our world today. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, watch this one. A lot of times we focus on just what Jesus himself said about the end time events, but other Bible writers talked about things to watch for too. And here, 2 Timothy, this can be page 1144 in your pew Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. But know this. And again, anytime the Bible says to know this, what should we do? Know it, right? And he says that in the, what days? Last days, perilous times will come. Oh, it's going to be awful. And immediately, my mind goes, okay, I'm thinking of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilences, disease, that kind of thing. But watch what he says, the peril of the last days, according to this author here, Apostle Paul. For men will be lovers of what? There's going to be a self-centeredness, a pleasure-seeking society, right? They're going to have this um, love of self. And watch what, how it manifests. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And what's this one? Disobedient to whom? Parents. They're going to be loving themselves instead of loving their families and their parents. The same could be said for the children. There'd be a breakdown in the family values. And it says here, that's going to be one of the signs of the last days. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and it goes on a whole other list. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. What's another word for slander? Gossip, people talking bad about you, bad-mouthing people, right? Disrespect. If you want to see some of that, go to social media. The Internet has somehow made it very feasible and likely that you put anything out there and someone's going to tell you how they're going to run you down and just be awful because we're anonymous now, right? I'm behind a screen, you're behind a screen. We can just say the most terrible, awful things. And we have a, we have a taste for meanness. It's interesting. We're living in these days. Unloving, unthank, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. There's that violent society again. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Apparently there would be disrespect to the family, a breakdown of the home values, and that's exactly what we see in our world today. You look at uh, the statistics are actually shocking. The U.S. divorce rate is over 50%. I mean, more times than not, even in the Christian church, even I as a pastor, when I marry some people, I have to understand, though I hope not and I wish not, and I pray not, more times than not, those people who committed themselves before God are going to divorce, even in the church. This is happening, which, by the way, is exactly what Timothy said there. If you go back here in chapter 3, look at verse 5. After all these people, the brutal traitors, loving themselves, pleasure lovers, right? Having a form of what? Godliness. They're doing it all in the gaze and the guise of Christianity. And that's what Jesus said to watch out for. They will come in my name doing all of these things. He says in the last days, people will be self-lovers, pleasure lovers, and they're going to be doing it in a form of godliness. No, 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 it's a Christian nation. Everything is fine. Fatherless children. Let me just read you some statistics. This one particularly fascinates me. Fatherless children, just right here in the U.S. Um, which, by the way, in the Bible, you'll find over 40 references sympathetic to poor, those poor children without fathers. The fatherless and the widow, the fatherless and the orphan. That's what you're supposed to take care of. 85% of young people in prison come from fatherless homes. 85%. 63% of suicides and young adults are from people who came from a fatherless home. 
90% of all runaway and homeless children are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers come from fatherless homes. Overall in the U.S., 34% of children live without their biological father, and 43% of all children live without any father figure in their life. We're getting close to a third 40% plus of kids who have no father figure in their life because the fathers are out having that pleasure-loving society, lovers of themselves, lovers of money. All those things the Bible talked about, increasing with intensity and frequency is what we're seeing in our world today. So you see this lack of uh, family values and of course, we don't even have to talk about the abortion issues of this right now, but I mean, 40 plus million a year globally, it's 125,000 babies every day. And why? Because people are lovers of themselves and not of what they've done. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it's actually shocking when you look at one out of four U.S. pregnancies are ended in abortion. But let's continue on. That, still in 2 Timothy there, that pleasure-driven society. You know, those pleasure things that are supposed to be so pleasurable actually kind of ruin your life. You know, alcoholism, drug abuse, media saturation again, whether it's music or television, movies, internet. We live in a day and age where, you know, those experiments where they put a rat in a cage and they can push a button and it's just pleasure, 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 and they die. They die happy, but they die really young, <laughs> Right? And honestly, I don't know how happy that really is. Just be stuck in a box pressing a button, you know. But how are we that different these days? We have more access to things that give us these immediate sensations of pleasure, but actually make us vacant of the real pleasures of life, godliness and, and family and, and fellowship and doing the Lord's will. All of those things are gone because we're just stuck in a box pushing a button. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. It's fascinating. Consumer debt, by the way. Why do we have consumer debt? For the most part. Now, I understand that there are some home ownership things that the whole thing got turned upside down, and I'm not, but I'm talking about when people have $20,000 worth of credit card debt on like big screen TVs and, you know, all these different things that are completely unnecessary. But why do we have that? Because we want it. Do you know why you buy things? It's because you want things, right? And when you buy more than what you have, you just want more than what you can handle, but you want more. You want more. And so you dig yourself into a hole. And <laughs> then you just sit in your box and you push the pleasure button. It's a horrible, horrible cycle that comes over and over and over. But we're seeing this in our world. Obesity, gambling, sports addiction, pornography. Oh my word, the statistics we could give on every one of those things are mind-blowing. But the pleasure industry is off the charts. And we, you know, look at what we're talking about in our movies. Why, why, is, why are we having such health problems? It's not because we have necessarily so much disease. Most of the diseases, the diseases that we die of the most, heart disease, lung disease, these things are self-inflicted 99% of the time, right? And so we'll spend all this money to get the pleasure, wreck ourselves, and spend more money trying to get healthy, and we're just in a box pushing the button over and over and over. And this is exactly what Christ said to watch out for in the end of time. Now, I don't want to end on a negative note because <laughs> I say, you know, we're all stuck in a box pleasuring ourselves to death while the world burns around us and everybody else is saying peace and safety. I don't want to end like that. 
there is at least one positive sign of Christ's coming, while most everything else, from the natural world to the political world to the military world to the societal world to the moral world, you name whatever aspect of the world, is all burning and crumbling around us, there is at least one good thing. Matthew chapter 24. Let's at least get to the good news tonight. Matthew chapter 24. After he lists off all of these things, and he talks about, and he gets very specific in the instant time events. We'll start with verse 9, Matthew chapter 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And we'll come to all of those things later, this time of trouble that's coming in the last days. You will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So I mean, he rattles off all these things we've just gone over. And then in verse 12, uh, 13, he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Not everyone's going to be lost, he said, but if you want to avoid that, endure with me to the end. And then he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then what will happen? The end will come. So apparently all of these other things are signs to watch for, just like the leaves coming out on the tree or the increased... uh, contractions of a pregnancy, they're going to increase in intensity and frequency as we go on. Things are going to crumble and fall, but there will be a faithful few. They will not fall by Satan's temptations and distraction, discouragement. They will stay abiding in Christ. They will be strong in their faith, and they will be a living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ in stark contrast to the darkness of the world around them. Though the whole world is dark, there will be lights in this world, and they will present the true unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. What you're going to see in the end time events Just as what we talked about when Jesus died on the cross, you saw the full manifestation of the character of Satan right next, sharply contrasted with the full manifestation of the character of God. Okay? The same thing's going to happen at the end time. Satan is going to go and build up and show us exactly what his kingdom and his government would look like. Every man for himself. Pleasure society. You go for you. All this kind of stuff. And it will deteriorate and destroy. But there will be a people who will be a living example of what faith in God looks like. As a witness against that, there will be a sharp contrast between light and darkness. And the question we have today, which camp do you want to be a part of? I, for one, want to have nothing to do with all the dark, horrible, evil, awful, toxic things in this world. Because this world is not my home. But we have a kingdom that's coming, I believe, soon and very soon, just like Jesus said quickly. And I don't think that just because I hope that. I think that because Bible prophecy outlines exactly where we are. And though we don't have a time to look for, we've been given ample signs. And friend, the signs are all around. We should literally be watching out because Jesus is coming soon. Did it make sense tonight? Praise the Lord. Watching for Jesus coming. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much. That not only did you come the first time to redeem us from sin, but you're coming a second time to be the King of kings and Lord of lords and establish your kingdom that will never fall. Lord, we've seen in the prophetic outline where we are in earth's history. And as we compare the signs that you've given in Scripture of your coming to the society in which we live, once again, you've demonstrated the veracity and validity of your word. Lord, everything you've said has been spot on, and we're living in these last perilous days. Lord, we know that all is not lost. We're not doomed to destruction. Things are not going to end that way. Lord, we want to be faithful to you so that we're not a part of the darkness, but we're a representation of the light itself. 
Lord, help us to be more Christ-like. Help us, like we've talked about before, to accept both your pardon and your power so that we can be living demonstrations, a witness to the world of the character of God in these dark times. Lord, keep us faithful for you so we can be a glory to your name, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.